Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Christina Stathopoulos, and I will be your host today. I am dedicated to the world of data, currently an analytical lead for Waze at Google, an adjunct professor of analytics at IE Business School and ISD, and an active public speaker in the space. We are joined again today by Richard Haynes, founder and CEO of Brightlight, for episode two of a three-part series. And in today's episode, we will be talking about the benefits of deep learning on structured data. Part of Brightlight's mission is to take the power of deep learning and make it more accessible to the citizen data scientist. Welcome back, Richard. How are you doing today? Hi, Christina. Doing really well. Great to be back on the show again. Yeah, it's great to have you back. And for those who may not have tuned in to our first episode, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you and your team do at Brightlight. Sure. So I'm the founder and CEO of Brightlight. And what we're doing is uh, building a platform. It's a serverless platform um, that contains the tools and supporting hardware to really bring deep learning to the citizen data scientist, which means making it easier to access the latest and greatest technology, uh, make it affordable, make it a really efficient user experience, and provide an end-to-end capability from ingesting data, building great data science models, and then also deploying it into production. Great. And and last time we spoke about the world of deployment, we spoke about MLOps, and also the critical piece that databases play amongst all of this. So can you give us a brief recap of the challenges faced by MLOps today and how you all at Brightlight help address these? Sure. So MLOps is actually at the end of the process after your data science team has produced um, a really good, accurate model. You then get, need to get it into production. And that's what that's where MLOps starts. It's actually quite a complex process because as soon as it's in production, the first thing that happens is your model becomes dated. And so you need to update it with the latest data that's available. It needs to be tracked. It needs to be audited. Uh, and so you start to get different versions pretty quickly of both data and models. And then you may have a number of models in production. So that whole workflow becomes really um, complex. And the good thing is it can be automated. And so the ML ops side of things is automating all of that. So you get efficiency, you get the, the latest models in production, you're auditable and, and all that good stuff. The difference comes in for, for what Bright Light is doing in the ML ops space is that we are bringing the AI to the database and using the database as the vehicle for that. And that's because databases have really solved a lot of the challenges that MLOps are trying to do, like security, authentication, and access is one of them, being able to uh, use the concurrency and, and scalability that uh, are native within databases. And also databases are a great way to track and store data, so all that versioning and monitoring. Um, and this is all obviously around structured data, so using uh, structured data to train the models and, and do the inferencing. Yeah, this all sounds very familiar to me. So I recommend for anyone listening in for the first time, make sure you go back and listen to our first episode together where we covered all of this in detail. Today, we will be shifting a bit 
and we're focusing on the use of deep learning for structured data. Before we dive into that, though, I would like to begin by taking a step back and starting with the basics. How would you describe the difference between traditional machine learning and deep learning? Sure. So um, deep learning is, is the latest technique to be used to process data and start to uh, gain insights and, and understand what that data means. People talk about machine learning and deep learning, and they're both mathematical models, uh, but deep learning is fundamentally different. So if, if we just start looking at machine learning, it's more dated, it's more uh, stats-orientated. There are a number of algorithms for very specific kinds of applications. Um, it's stochastic and has been you know, the uh, cornerstone foundation of, of data science for a long time. Deep learning is relatively new, extensively used in a computer vision and similar kinds of workloads, but can be really effective for structured data as well. And so that's where we are focusing. And the, the, the main sort of approach that's different in deep learning is you start using what are called neurons, and a neuron has an input and generates an output depending on a, a kind of a trigger function. Uh, you you bring lots of neurons together in a network and you can have a number of networks uh, and hidden layers. And a model typically needs around three hidden layers before you start calling it a deep uh, neural network. Um, but it's this network, uh, it's still very much a maths uh, orientated approach, but the maths is fundamentally different and the ways you go and solve it is fundamentally different, but it's actually incredibly powerful. And, and like you mentioned, Oftentimes, I hear about deep learning and its applications for unstructured data for computer vision. So I think it's going to be quite insightful to hear about its applications for structured data, which, which is less talked about. Um, and as, as you were speaking, you were explaining that it's based on these neural network algorithms that have multiple layers of processing. So focusing on that deep learning piece, can you tell us more? How does an artificial neural network system work? Okay, brilliant question. Uh, and I find this whole space really exciting. In some ways, it's uh, intensely complex and difficult to get into. And in other ways, it's so neat and tidy and beautiful. But basically, what you're doing within a neural network is um, you're touching these neural networks. Like I said, uh, the neurons themselves have inputs and outputs. They're all interconnected. Um, and you have a, an, uh, at the output, you have an error function. You chuck a, a load of training uh, data in the front end, you then look at the errors, and the errors are matching what the prediction is compared to your uh, actual results. Uh, you get an error function, uh, and then you uh, do something called backpropagation. So your forward pass, then you look at your error function, you do your backpropagation. Uh, backpropagation is essentially a uh, differentiation problem, a calculus problem, where you're trying to use um, stochastic descent type methods to uh, optimize the error function and optimize the weights that uh, each of the neurons have associated with them before they start triggering an output from a given input. Now, this differentiation problem is just insanely complex. It's just like impossible to solve in an analytical way using your traditional sort of analytic tools. But that's fine because for differentiation, you also have numerical methods and numeric approaches. And this is where 
graphics processor units come in. So they, they're used extensively in deep learning because they're very well suited to using numeric methods that are required for the differentiation that's required to actually train neural networks. And this differentiation problem, this numeric problem is, is matrix orientated and GPUs are just perfect for matrix orientation, uh, problems that have a, a matrix orientation. And so where we get to is uh, a neural network that's using differentiation, it's a matrix problem. Um, once you start training them, they, they're really powerful. But the challenge is um, it's, it's inaccessible to your citizen data scientists because you've got these different neurons. They need to have different uh, error functions. They need to be hooked up in multiple different uh, combinations and layers. And all of that is sort of trial and error and, and a highly specialized skill. The great thing about neural networks is they're transferable. I love your, your comment at the beginning. Complicated, but beautiful at the same time. Um, and also, you were, you were mentioning GPUs. Um, we spoke about this as well in our last episode, about how you, you and, and Brightlight use GPUs to do things like this versus the traditional use of CPUs. So another reason for our listeners, if you want to hear more about that, we spoke a little bit more in detail in our last episode. Um, but great explanation, I think, will help help our listeners, especially newbies or those just getting started with machine learning and deep learning. It's great to hear it explained in that way. But tell me, if we if we compare them side by side, how does deep learning position itself against traditional machine learning? What are the strengths and weaknesses when it comes to deep learning? Some of the things you you've commented on, but how would you how would you compare them directly? Sure, and I think it's a really important starting point because there's loads of people who are using uh, your traditional, typical machine learning uh, methods and they're having a lot of success there. Uh, and they might be thinking about how do I get into deep learning and suddenly it's like neural networks and hidden layers and differentiation and what does that all mean and, and why would you want to do that? Deep learning, to start off with, is, is highly flexible and highly adaptable. So you can, what that means is you can build a neural network, get an expert to do that, uh, and then that neural network can solve all sorts of different kinds of problems. You don't have to change it. With machine learning, you often need to pick the right algorithm for the right problem. And that's part of the data science skill set at the moment, is knowing I need to use logistical regression here, I need to use linear regression here, I need to use a, a random forest over there. Machine learning also needs a lot more hand-holding. So the algorithms are not necessarily that more that you know, complicated, you can get your head around them pretty easily, but putting data in is is a bit of a black art. You need to understand how to normalize your data. What are you going to do with outliers? Um, what data should you use? What data shouldn't you use? There's feature engineering. Um, and all of that can really have an impact on how effective that machine learning model is. Uh, with deep learning, there's less of that. Uh, deep learning needs far less hand-holding, unsupervised even. So you can build this neural network, you can chuck data at it. Uh, that data needs to be less prepared and manufactured. The, the neural network itself is uh, able to cope with it. And then you start looking at other things. So once you start getting at larger data, machine learning, because of how it's set up and the math that's involved, can start to become overwhelmed. If you've got uh, you know, a long table, so lots of rows of data, or a wide table with lots of columns, Quite often in machine learning, the problem is, is also a matrix problem. 
that you get in deep learning, but it's a different kind of matrix problem, uh, and it needs to be diagonalized or, or solved. Uh, and some of these matrices um, can't be easily parallelized. And so you end up with uh, a CPU. Uh, you can port them onto GPU, actually machine learning, some of them using um, XGBoost. You can uh, solve them, but the algorithm itself sort of spins at wheels. And for a given data set and doesn't need to be that large, uh, it can actually take days. And so deep learning, uh, because it's parallelizable, because it is able to uh, handle longer, wider data sets, um, maybe you know data that's not perfectly prepared. Uh, the training times can be much quicker. Uh, it can handle that complexity. A single model can hold, uh, can deal with all sorts of different scenarios. Often the the end result is is a more accurate model. Um, and so uh, once that neural network is there and built, uh, people who who don't have a lot of experience working with data science type subject matter can actually um, be really productive. If they're domain experts, they understand the context of their problem, they understand that data. Uh, if they can just bolt a neural network on top of that, they don't need to know what it does or, or how it's configured, they can actually get a lot out of it. And that's what we're trying to empower. We're trying to say to domain experts, citizen data scientists, hey, there's this world of deep learning. It sounds amazing and difficult or, or, or inaccessible. And it doesn't need to be that way. And, and that's because once you've got the model, uh, untrained neural network, uh, you can do so much with it without having to handhold it. Okay, Lot, lots of differences. And what I've noted is that deep learning is highly flexible. It can solve many problems. Whereas with machine learning, you have to pick the exact algorithm that you're going to use. And then as well, deep learning, less handholding, machine learning, more handholding. Um, as well, deep learning can handle big or wide data, whereas machine learning can get quickly overwhelmed. Um, and lastly, you commented about the training time. So deep learning has a quicker training time and also can result in, in more accurate results, whereas with machine learning, it takes a bit longer um, and might not be as accurate. So lots of differences there that were noted. And seeing that you probably stay at the forefront of this field, what are the latest and greatest in deep learning? What's going on in the field right now, and particularly for structured data? Sure. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And I think it, uh, just to start off there, we, we've got a great te uh, team of data scientists uh, looking at the forefront, uh, cutting edge, what's happening in this space. And that's really important because part of what we believe we are doing is looking at the forefront, looking at that cutting edge, taking from it the best pieces uh, and wrapping them up in a way that makes it much easier for other people to use. And so an example of that is TabNet, Tab Table Net, okay, and uh, you know, neural network. And if you look at it compared to something that's um, used extensively in the, in the traditional the data science machine learning space, random forests, uh, where random forest, uh, and you start comparing them, um, you start to get an understanding of what cutting edge is available. So there's a TabNet, it's out there. There's a paper that's been written about it. It has been slated. Okay, that's not us saying it. This is the experts who have been saying that it is slated to replace random forests. And this is because although random forest is extensively used, TabNet is a far superior alternative. And that is because it has been shown to be more accurate, so uh, better results, 
and it is also shown to be interpretable. So one of the problems with random forest is uh, nobody really knows, once you've got a trained model, why that model works. It works and you can get results out of it, but it's difficult to actually say why, whereas TabNet is far more interpretable. And so, you know, what we're doing is we're taking TabNet, we're packaging it up. You can use our platform where TabNet is already there available. And in a single line of code, you can connect TabNet to the data in the database. Um, and off you go. You're now a data scientist with deep learning expertise, uh, a domain expert, and you can start making use of it. I'm going to have to read more about this TabNet because I personally have not heard about it. So thank you for sharing. And... I know that when it comes to running all of these models, it's obvious that one has to get data out of the database to the AI platform. But is it possible that there could be a better way? There absolutely is uh, possibly. It is absolutely possible there's a better way. Um, and we, we think we're, we are the better way, if I could be so, uh, so forward as saying that. We think actually it needs to be turned on its head and the AI should be brought to the database. Um, and that's what we've done. So um, we have taken a Postgres database, we've ported it so that it can uh, run on GPU. Um, we have a very tight integration with PyTorch. Uh, so tight, in fact, that we've taken PyTorch source code and used that as the columns in our tables. Everything's uh, interoperable and uh, interchangeable. I can use Postgres to ingest the data and do some uh, data manipulation, flick over to a Jupyter Notebook, uh, connect to the database using the um, access credentials, and uh, straight away all those columns become tensors. I can start uh, working with the data and training uh, my neural networks. We also have a library of neural networks that are available. You can grab one uh, with a single line of code, connect it to the uh, database, uh, and then run a training regime. Um, and so using the Brightlight platform, which is a serverless platform, so that means that when you log in, the hardware's there, the software's installed and ready to go. You bring your data. Uh, when you log out, all the hardware is terminated or decommissioned, uh, and you're no longer paying for it. So that just makes it far more accessible. The software's there, the hardware's there. Um, you can scale, and you're just uh, paying for what you use. So to summarize, we typically bring data out of the database and to the AI platform, but bright light solutions help do practically the opposite. Like you said, we're, we're turning things on its head um, and embedding AI in the database. And this all sounds great, but what does it look like in reality? Can you give us an example or a use case, maybe one that you've helped implement at Brightlight? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, so I can give you one of the first ones that comes to mind is a, um, a customer in the ad tech space, okay? And they were using Random Forest for uh, to run a, a classification workload uh, on their customers. The data set was 1.6 gigabytes, okay? So that's, that's quite a big data set, but it's by no means ginormous. Uh, 5 million rows, so it's quite a long data set, 129 columns, so that's quite a wide data set. And using your traditional CPU methods of random forest, uh, the training of this model was taking days, like four days, four or five days. We then helped uh, the customer port that onto XGBoost. Okay, so random forest running on GPU. GPUs are just incredible. You know, they, they used 
extensively in computer vision, but, but really they are the future of data processing, particularly when they are paralyzable workloads and, and deep learning is totally paralyzable, so it's brilliant. Anyway, used XGBoost, so non-deep learning, and, and the, the GPUs brought that from four or five days down to four hours. Okay, brilliant. You know, that's an amazing uh, improvement. Uh, we then ported it using a relatively simple model. So five-layer new uh, network, about 7,300 parameters um, using PyTorch. Uh, PyTorch is natively running on GPU, so we get that benefit. And, and that took it from four hours to eight minutes. Okay, so that's the improvement just from deep learning alone. And then we took that and we implemented it on Brightlight I.O., and so that there's another additional improvement because we have this tight integration with the database and PyTorch. The data comes in, we use Postgres to um, store it on the GPUs. So it's on GPU already. And we've got some clever stuff that happens in the background. But that means that when you start extracting it, it actually doesn't get extracted. It just stays on the GPUs. And that reduced the, the training time down to two minutes. So you've gone from four days down to using uh, bright lights and its close integration with PyTorch, which gives a quite an improvement in performance, down to two minutes. And, th and that's that's a combination of using GPUs, using bright lights capability, and then and a deep learning model. I always like finishing these conversations with connections to how it works in reality. So thank you for sharing. And I think that's incredible. I mean, you you started talking about how. The model originally was running four to five days. Then with XGBoost, you brought it down to four hours. Then with PyTorch, eight minutes. And finally, Brightlight I.O., two minutes. So four to five days to two minutes. That's um, incredibly efficient. Um, thank you again, Richard, for all of these great insights today. I've enjoyed it. I've found it to be a fascinating conversation. And also thank you to everyone who tuned in. Remember that if you would like more information on what we've discussed today, make sure you head on over to brightlight.io. It's spelled B-R-Y-T-L-Y-T. We will be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. Until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at em360tech on Twitter and LinkedIn, and for more great daily content, head on over to em360tech.com.